What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Numbers Guys NBA podcast. The conference semifinals just ended in both conferences, and we got four, well, three pretty wild series. And today we're going to go on and talk about some of those, talk about our predictions for the next round, and, you know, just talk about how every series went. Um, I'm Preston Klaus. I'm joined by Ian Archer and Kevin Ivers, and why don't we just get right into it? We'll start with the quickest series of them of them all, the Suns versus the Nuggets. It was a sweep. Uh, not much to talk about here, but do any of you guys want to start and kind of give your takeaways? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, I think the last podcast uh, that we did talking about the actual series, I think we all predicted a pretty quick Suns um, demolition. I think Preston even said if Chris Paul was healthy, which he obviously was, it'd be in four. So I, I just hope my, there's not much to say, like you alluded to. I just hope that people don't use this retroactively to disqualify Jokic's MVP case. Uh, he was, he was very good in the series again. I think he had a 30, 20 game. He just, I mean, if you're, if you're trotting out Facundo Campazzo as like a crime partner, you don't even deserve to be in the playoffs. And so to have that team have the same record um, or at least the same win pace that they had post Jamal Murray's injury is, is an accomplishment in itself to win a first round series is big. Uh, they just ran into a far superior team. It was literally Jokic against the Suns and he at least made some of the games competitive. So I don't want to do anything more on it. The Suns are clearly better and the better teams in the conference finals. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Nuggets ever really had much of a chance in this series, but any chance they had of it, of making it competitive, went out the window when Jokic wasn't the best player in the series. And, I mean, he wasn't because Chris Paul played the best series I've seen from a point guard in a long time. Uh, he controlled literally everything that went on on both sides of the floor. Averaged over 25 a game shooting 63% from the field, 75% from three, and perfect from the line. That's in insanity. Even in just four games, you can't, you you shouldn't be able to put up those shooting splits. Um, had an offensive rating of 156 for the series. Also insanity that you, you can't beat a guy who is putting up stats like that. And I mean, Denver had no answers defensively, and they couldn't keep up offensively with Porter not being able to make a shot. Jokic, as Ian said, had a pretty good series, all things considered. Aiton was a very tough matchup for him. Aiton's had a really good playoff so far. And, I mean, Jokic absolutely had to destroy that matchup for them to have a chance, and he wasn't able to do it. So, I mean, Denver's got a lot to, to look forward to next year, get back Murray healthy. Uh, hopefully Porter can put this series behind him, but this was not a good showing for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like we're all in agreement here that the Nuggets basically did all they could considering the circumstances without Joe, Jamal Murray. Um, I believe they're missing a couple other guys. Um, I mean, what, Jokic got ejected in game four and oh. that basically ended their season. I'm glad just no, sorry to cut you off. I'm glad you brought that up. Like the NBA, that's, that's such a terrible ejection. Like do, just, I'll just put, cause I don't want to cut you off. 
if that was LeBron, Durant, there's no way any of them would have got ejected. So let's start treating, like I know he's from Europe and he's not some big star because he plays in Denver, but let's start treating everyone. He just won the MVP and it was a legitimate MVP. So let's start treating him like he's an actual MVP and not toss him for, you know, taking a hard foul on Cameron Payne, who was in China two years ago. Wasn't like, it it's ridiculous. Didn't Simmons do something similar like a day or two later and get a flagrant one and get to stay in the game? I'm not sure, but to me, it looked like definitely a flagrant foul. It looked like a flagrant one. It's a flagrant one. I was yeah. surprised he got ejected, like in game four in an elimination game, on like at home. It was insane. I don't think it would have changed anything. It wouldn't have changed it was, anything. It was not great. No, it but you got to keep him out there to at least have a chance. Like, it's just bad. It wouldn't have happened if it was another like top mm. ten player. It just wouldn't have. Well, it's just a lose-lose for both teams because Jokic looks bad. The league looks bad for rejecting him. And then the Suns, stupid fans go and say, oh, the Suns can't beat anyone good. Uh, Jokic got ejected game four when the series was already over. And it's just, I didn't think it was necessary. And I kind of agree with you, Ian. I, I feel like if it's any other star player, which... Jokic is a top 10, maybe even top five player in this league. They're not ejected. They're still in the game. They're playing. And it's game four. The, you know, the, the game was basically over after that. The Nuggets fought back and like, I commend them for that, but like, that was it. That was a series. And like, that's a terrible way to end it off, it, it, especially from a marketing standpoint. I know you have to make the right call, but, but still, like, I don't even think that was the right call. Right. Completely agree. Yeah, but <clears throat> either way, Jokic dominated. No one else really did much. I mean, Will Barton, Michael Porter, even Monte Morris had a couple good showings. But I, I have to agree with Kevin. Just Chris Paul had an amazing series, just off the charts numbers. His true shooting percentage was 74.3%. He made basically every mid-range I saw. I watched every game. And – he was just incredible. He looked like by far the best player of the series and not to flash forward too much, but it sucks to not see him out on the court because of the COVID protocol. Like that guy is just so fun to watch. And the Suns are such a fun team to watch as well. And I, I just want to call out, it's not a slight at Booker or even Jokic to say that Chris Paul was the best player in the series when he played that well, which a lot of people think that Booker isn't getting his respect because Chris Paul is getting credit for playing out of his mind. They needed both of them. The, like, the big reason that they dominated the series is because between Paul and Booker and the role players around them, they had a team and Jokic was himself. And that's what it took. Absolutely. I totally agree. Like you hit it right on the head. And and like you said before, or like someone said before, the best team won the series. And honestly, I don't think that can be said about some of the other series. A little bit of foreshadowing there. But the best team absolutely crushed the series. We got some really great moments, I think on the court and off the court with the Suns and four guy. Um, I think it was really entertaining, even though it was a sweep. Yeah, it was still a great series. Like, it was fun to watch. Um, 
but going in, I think you, everyone just hit on it. You know, there was not much suspense barring like a LeBron-esque controlling all aspects of the game, 35, 15, and 15 average from Jokic that it would go any other way than it did. Yeah. I, the only other point I want to touch on before we move on to the next series is the Suns completely dominated the third quarter. Like they just outscored them in every single game in the, in the third, like it. And for a team that hasn't really been battle tested, I, I guess that's the term. That's so impressive to just take charge. They were plus 10 in game one in the, in the third quarter, plus nine in game two, um, plus 10 again in game three. And then in game four, they're plus five. So just to win that battle and take the game over against a pretty good Nuggets team, even even without Jamal Murray, like they still beat the Blazers. There's no slouch. They compl- they, it looked like they were inferior. And I think that's more of a credit to the Suns than it is shaming the Nuggets, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you brought over Chris Paul, so you know, <laughs> he, he like, and shout out to James Jones, who won executive of the year. Um, oh, yeah. You know, anytime you bring over a guy like that, who maybe he hasn't had the ultimate success of breaking through to make a finals and uh, maybe winning a championship, who knows, maybe he'll get the opportunity this year. Um, he's been in plenty of big playoff games and he understands the importance of closing halves really well and starting the second half really well. So it's, it's not a surprise that, especially given the talent disparity between the two teams, that the Suns really put their foot on the throat in the third and, and finished that. Because the Nuggets were – they were kind of controlling game one, which was interesting, and then obviously the plus 10 in the third quarter, and then the Phoenix Suns just demolished them in the fourth. So, Yeah, so I have a big question for Preston. Um, at what point do we acknowledge that the Heat last year were Jay Crowder's team – and that him going to the Suns is the reason why the Suns are this good. Oh, we didn't even acknowledge Jay Crowder, who's been a huge piece for the Suns. I, I mean, maybe he's the championship DNA. And honestly, going to back-to-back finals. May, they're my pick. I mean, they're they've been my pick. I thought they're going to go to the finals, start of the playoffs. I still think they they will, and that actually kind of leads us into our next series or our next recap of Clippers versus Jazz. We had the number one seed going against the number four seed. And the Clippers lose Kawhi Leonard after game four. No one really knows. He sat out with a knee injury. And everyone's just like, oh, he'll rest up, be ready for game five. That never happened. He might have a torn ACL. He might come back. We don't really know. The thing is, now he can come back because the Clippers ended up taking care of business handedly and winning game five and coming back from a 25-point deficit in game six, sweeping the Jazz after they won the first two games. So we saw two sweeps. It's just the Clippers waited two games to do it. I thought it was so impressive, uh, not only from Paul George, who had a terrible postseason last year, but from Ty Lu, who hasn't really gotten the respect he deserves as a head coach yet. And honestly, if it doesn't come now, I don't think it'll ever happen because he's 
he should be talked about as a top 10 or maybe even top five coach in the league. He's, he was absolutely incredible in this series, managing his players. Terrence Mann, great things. What do you guys have on thoughts on this series? I think you're giving Ty Lue a little much credit. He did a great job of reacting to what he saw. But he got off to a horrible start in this series. I mean, Donovan Mitchell got anything he wanted in the first two games, and that was in large part due to the way they were defending him. So give him all the credit for the way he reacted. And in the Dallas series as well, he proved that as a coach, he's exceptionally good at seeing what a team is giving you and reacting to it and adjusting to it. But you're not always going to be able to spot them a couple games. He made great lineup adjustments. As you mentioned, I mean, Tarrant Mann probably won them game six. And I'm not sure they win game five without guys like Reggie, Marcus Morris, even Terrence Mann a little bit too. He did a good job as it went on, but he did not get off to a great start. But overall, you always have a chance in a series when you have the best player in the series. And they definitely had it with Kawhi for the first four games. But what ended up being a difference maker for them is that Paul George was the best player in the series in those last two games. Whether he was defending all over the place, playing really, really good defense, playing pretty much every minute and running the offense every second he was on the floor, I think it's time to retire playoff P because he stepped up when his team absolutely needed him and he got the job done. You mean pandemic P? We're it's actually Pfizer P now. <laughs> He's got the antidote. Um, all right, so there's a lot there. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit on the Ty Lu thing from you. I, I'm going to tend to or side with Preston here. Um, I think if we look at, you know, the first – if you want to criticize him a little bit for the Dallas series and them losing the first three games on their home floor, that's fine. But in Utah, you know, we just saw it in, in uh, Phoenix for game one. They're coming off. They just played seven games in uh, what was the most excruciating uh, series. In the first round, they played seven against the Mavs. And so they're coming off the most excruciating series, probably in the playoffs. And they're having to go right to a team that as soon as they got out of the Mitchell back, they just smoked the Grizzlies in four straight games. Uh, no Conley for the Jazz, but the legs were there for Utah in game one. And, you know, I would argue that if you look back at the first two games, the Clippers kind of, in a weird way, like asserted their dominance in Utah, even though they lost both of the games. Uh, they were up in the, they played a great first half in game one and lost, even though they had a shot late to win it with um, Marcus Morris in the corner getting blocked by, at the time, he was a good defender, but you know, as the series progressed, he kind of got played out of it. And then in game two, they came back from like 20 um, in the second half and took the lead briefly and then got beat by the Jazz. Uh, but Utah is the hardest place to play in the playoffs. I think they had the best home record in the regular season. So losing two games in Utah, especially one where you have a rest deficit that's pretty substantial, I wouldn't consider that like a bad coaching job. I think that um, – he made the, I mean, he rendered through his adjustments later in the series by basically putting Zubach on the bench. He rendered Gobert ineffective because I was texting Preston during game six. Like Terrence Mann was just getting wide open corner threes 
um, because Gobert was so reluctant to come out of the paint, it was just it was just shooting practice, and he hit some tough know, ones. He had some tough ones, but like Give most credit. of them, that was open. an insane game from him. Sure, but most of them were open. I think the larger point is that if you give any NBA player, like all the uh, Twitter fanboys that start ragging on Joe Harris because he had a bad couple games, which we'll get to, or or some player who has a bad stretch that thinks they can go into like these NBA guys, if you just give them open looks, they're they're gonna make them for the most part. And That's so, good. figuring out a way to have Gobert. Uh, be ineffective by taking him out of the paint or leaving him in the paint, just getting wide open corner threes for an NBA player, I thought was a great adjustment. And the reason they were able to win um, get a game five in Utah when the Jazz hit, I think 17 threes in the first half, definitely a playoff record. And then, um, and then game six coming back from 25 to secure the first conference finals appearance ever. Yeah. And, and as much as I know Ian slandered the Clippers, it's proving well. It's it's proving to have worked because they made their first Western Conference Finals um, in their history, the longest drought in all the four major professional sports for the Conference Finals. Fifty years broken, and honestly, I'd say after those first two games, even though the Clippers put up a huge, like like they put up good fights in games one and two. I was not confident that they would be able to win game three, game four. And then once they kept rattling off wins, you were just like, when is this, when are the jazz going to become the jazz again? They're the number one seed for a reason. Um, They should be, you know, closer in these games. And honestly, game six was, that was so shocking to me. Like the, the, the Clippers look dead in the first half. And then they come out in game six when you're, you're kind of just like, ah, maybe we'll just play for game seven. We have enough injuries, blah, blah, blah. Down by 25 at one point. And then they come back and win off of a guy who hasn't really played all year. He started his second game of the season, Terrence Mann. And then Paul George looked like, Pacers Paul George where he can Reggie team. sorry Reggie was also lights out that game oh yeah absolutely like and honestly they just got contributions from a ton of people even Marcus Morris was doing good I, I feel like Marcus Morris was kind of their tough guy this series Batum at center worked which was really interesting to me especially against the defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Um, he, he's a bum. I I think his biggest issues in the series showed up on offense. Defensively, like, defensively, he didn't look good in game six. Completely agree. I think they're already out of the series by then if he's not on the team. Because I think that all playoffs, it showed how much of their defense is him. All right, but because the rest of the defense was not, they don't have great defenders around him. They don't even have good defenders around him. The primary defender, Gobert, um, allowed a field goal percentage of 80%, which was that was game six, right? Yeah, in game six. That was, yeah, it was here's my far from his best game. Oh, here's my here's my thing with him like, 
we were about to do it with Giannis after game five, right? The, oh, he can't win. Like, I'm never going to vote for him for an MVP again. He's a regular season player. He can't play in the postseason. We were about to do that whole narrative that we did with LeBron once way back, that we did with Durant, um, that we've done with Steph. Like, these guys that are at the top of the league and that offer the complete package offensively, which is where the game has an emphasis, and that's why they're at the top of the league. We do this whole thing with them where it's like, oh, you're a choker. You can't get it done. But we've seen for years now, like whether it be when they play Houston, they just pick and roll him to death or this series where that Terrence man go for 40. He he's being put in positions in the postseason that are far different from in the regular season. He's being rendered ineffective because sure, he can get seven blocks against Cody Martin and the Hornets on a regular February night. But he lets Terrence Mann go for 40. And offensively, he's terrible. The only value he adds offensively is maybe a wipeout screen once or twice. But for the most part, like Donovan Mitchell was just going isolation. They didn't want to put Gobert in any action because they were just going to double and then Gobert would add him to the playmaker. So in these series where he's giving you nothing on the screening end, he's getting abused defensively. And I'm supposed to believe that this guy is an all-NBA guy perennially and going to be a future – like he's just not. He's not that, even close to as good as Dwight Howard was when Dwight Howard was in his prime. It's not even close. Like Dwight my, Howard give you 17 and give you something offensively. Gobert doesn't do anything. He's my least favorite player in the NBA. He cries when he doesn't make fine. all-star teams. He does, like I just don't like him. And so I'm biased, but he didn't do anything in that series. My issue is that where you said on the offensive end, I completely agree, and that's where I think he needs to fix because – I mean, no seven-footer is going to be able to guard out on the perimeter, and that's exactly what they need to avoid. And the way to do that is destroy it when they go small against you, and he couldn't. And that's where he needs to improve because he's he, he's the best defender in the league because of his ability to defend inside. But unless he makes them play a guy who's going to be inside, they're going to be able to expose him. So that's where he needs to improve his, his offense so that he's – destroying Batum who let's be honest should have no shot against a guy of Gobert's size and a guy who's an all NBA player he needs to be able to destroy that matchup for them because they didn't have mismatches anywhere else Donovan was getting double teamed triple teamed good defenders and still playing a great series Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Clarkson, they didn't have favorable matchups. The favorable favorable matchup was Gobert. And in the playoffs, you have to win that, and he didn't. And I'm a big fan of his, but he's got to take some blame for it. I mean, Who would you rather have, him or Aiton? I'll, I'll take Gobert because he can change the game offensive, uh, defensively. I mean, he I like Aiton a lot. Aiton's still got a long way to go before he has the same defensive impact, and I really don't think he survives on the perimeter any better. I'd rather have Aiton. Speaking of blame here, how much blame goes to Quinn Snyder? Because A decent amount because Gobert played the most minutes in game six. Yeah, and well, the thing is, is you win the first two games, you lose three in a row, and game five – you you kind of – I feel like that should have been a wake-up call. And it was, at least for the first half of game six. And then it's almost like Quinn Snyder in that second half said, I'm going to go down with my – I'm going to go down with my big guys. Literally, 
I'm gonna go down with my gun, like my guns, guns ablazing. Rudy Gobert playing the most minutes out of anyone in that game, getting exposed on the defensive end because he can't guard anyone outside of the perimeter. But and, he always stayed big too. Yeah. Even when Rudy wasn't in, it's Favors, who was a plus twelve in Game Six, but like also can't guard the perimeter. Well, it was just. It was baffling to me. It and I don't know if that's Quinn Snyder's defensive philosophy where he just wants his centers to stay inside, but they were just making three after three after three in the corner. Even Rondo was hitting threes. And at some point, I feel like as a coach, you have to be like, okay, they've destroyed us from three-point range. Let's put Bogdanovich in at center, take out Rudy Gobert, and just play small and shouldn't try to beat them. Because honestly, I feel like the like just just from watching that game, the Clippers wanted it more, and they were getting rebounds even with that small lineup in. So what's the point at that point? Like, why is Rudy Gobert even in? Quinn yeah. Snyder dared the Clippers to beat them with jump shooting, and the Clippers shot forty three percent from three. Like, but, I mean, the Clippers are the best three point shooting team of all time. So that's a horrible strategy. Yeah, unless you just think they're gonna choke. Which I mean, they, they shot forty-two percent in the regular. Like that's not a deviation. And then to your yeah. Gobert point, like it's just this simple. You can't have two hundred million dollars sitting on the bench in the playoffs. You just can't have it. You're screwed if you're if you're literally down the stretch of game. It's it's the same thing with it's the Ben Simmons conundrum. <laughs> if I have forty million annually, riding pine, being a water boy, you're screwed. You can't win. You can't win. Yeah, I, I got to agree with that. They got to, their best chance at winning a title is always going to be with Gobert on the floor. They just have to figure out how to make that work. Agreed. And, and honestly, I mean, props to the Clippers because I feel like we haven't said that enough. Oh, they played a great series. Great series. Um, definitely shed their label of playoff chokers, at least for this year. <laughs> And they definitely rebounded better than any team I've seen in a while from last year. And I don't think that's a stretch to say. Their depth guys stepped up. I mean, I've never been a fan of Reggie Jackson, but he played an incredible series. Terrence Mann, as we mentioned, probably won them game six. Batum hit his shots. Kennard hit his shots. Um just about the only guy from their bench that I don't think played well is DeMarcus Cousins, and I got no clue why he's even playing games. So, I mean, question for Minus you. 11 against the Suns is terrible, even though he had a big spurt in the first yeah, yeah. first or second quarter. After you that. want to talk about Rudy Gobert can't defend on the perimeter. DeMarcus Cousins is slower than anyone <laughs> I've seen trying to defend he can, At least he can finish around the rim, though. That is like, true. I'm not saying he's better than Gobert. I'm not, like. I'm not there, but I did text Preston though, Kevin, you should appreciate this. I believe I texted you, uh, is Reggie Jackson better than Russell Westbrook? I was just about to ask that, mm. Kevin. Yeah, Reggie Jackson is not going to shoot 50% from three for very long, so I'd enjoy it while it's still happening, but he played an excellent series and finally backed up on his thought process that he should have been a starter all along, And I, but he's honestly, still not better than Reggie Jackson. Uh, he's still not better than Russell Westbrook. 
I mean, I don't think Westbrook's shooting 50% from three anytime soon either. I, I mean, yeah. I gotta be on. I'd rather have Reggie, uh, especially at the contract, because at least he's not gonna go into a playoff game thinking it's my time. It's my time. He's not getting forty million dollars in the the free agency this year. Maybe who knows? I don't think he can contractually, but (laughs) who knows? He might ask for it. He's playing himself into a nice contract, though. The Clippers can only give him about ten million because of early bird rights, unless they like renounce all their free agents and clear cap space. But I think he's going to get more at this point. He'll probably get Schroeder money. And does the title window close when Reggie Jackson leaves? (laughs) He's a key piece. It's as wide open as it'll ever get right now for him though. If Kawhi, if Kawhi is not out indefinitely. Well, anyway, let's, let's, um, let's move on to the series that's happening right now. And that is Suns Clippers. The Suns actually already won game one. Devin Booker dropped 40 with Chris Paul out. The Suns looked like they were in control the whole game, I'd I'd say, um, at least in that second half. And even without Chris Paul, the Suns just looked very, very good. And even when the Clippers kind of came back, cut it to two at the end, the Suns didn't waver, and they don't have that veteran presence with them, even on their bench because of that COVID protocol. I thought it was a really impressive performance, and I'm honestly going to say Suns and six on this one. What do you guys think? Predicting this series is so tough. Go ahead. Without, without knowing – when or if Kawhi is coming back, it's a tough prediction. Chris Paul will be back at some point when I don't think we know. If we do, I missed it. But um, he's out with health and safety protocols, so you know he'll be back eventually. Kawhi could be out until a chunk of next season or could come back. No one's really telling us much there. But in terms of this one game that we have to go off of, I actually don't really agree with Preston. I don't think the Suns were in control. Um, Paul George kind of fell apart down the stretch, which I was expecting because he's on terrible legs right now. He's got to be destroyed from basically putting the team on his back for the last two games, running the offense the whole time. Um, He needs to recover from that. Um, Morris got a knock that he needs to recover from because they need him. And they need to stop playing DeMarcus Cousins because, as we already mentioned, he was a minus 11, even though he was scoring the ball well because he literally can't guard anyone. Um, For Phoenix, Booker was exactly as good as they need him to be. For every game Chris Paul's out, they need exactly that from him. Aiton's been the underrated star of the playoffs, and they got contributions from everywhere else. But uh, if Kawhi Leonard's back by game four, I think the Clippers win this series but I really don't think he comes back. So I think the Suns probably take it in six or seven. Okay. I don't think he comes back either. And that, that's – Yeah. That that goes into my prediction. Sorry to cut you off, Ian. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just – I was going to agree on that Kawhi point. I don't think he comes back. Um, people kind of forget that he sat out basically the whole year with the Spurs. And I kind of – 
think he'll be the same type of cautious with whatever he has right now. I hope it's not an ACL just for his health, but when the team doctors fear that, then it usually is, unfortunately. And Paul George is very good, but I think they're going up against a Titan here in the Phoenix Suns, which is funny to say, just considering their last 10 years of history. But they have as good of a coach, if not better, as good of stars, as good of bench, and the Suns are just the better team, and I expect them to win the series. Why also has his contract to think about because he has his opt-out, and I mean, I think he'll probably be able to get a max even if he's missing all of next year, similar to Durant, but he probably doesn't want that. I was just oh, yeah, sure. I think I'm operating under the premise that Kawhi's gone uh, for the season. Uh, but I picked the Clippers to, I think, win the championship when we last did this. Um, and I'm stubborn, so I'm going to stick with them. And here, so I think they're going to win game two like fairly easily. Uh, I think Booker had the greatest game of his career, and it still took them, it took every bit of that for them to hold off the Clippers team where Paul George scored one point in the fourth quarter and Marcus Morris senior was terrible. Boogie Cousins was awful in terms of on off split and they just came off uh, two days rest, which by the way, the NBA for putting them for making them play Sunday instead of giving them two days off and having them play Monday. It's where we got a game every single day. Um, is Tuesday. Tuesday. They would push it back two days just so we have alternate. Yeah, Tuesday. Good point. Mm -hmm. But um, so the fact that they were coming off short rest, uh, Paul George collapsed because, you know, we'll just say fatigue in the fourth quarter. Uh, Marcus Morris Sr., again, terrible. Cousins, terrible. And they still almost beat Phoenix in maybe the Suns' biggest game. Like, I, I don't want to say in franchise history, but it's certainly a, a top five game. Um, it's, it's certainly up there. So I think Chris Paul's already been ruled out, so I don't think they can pull a rabbit out of their hat again. I think the Clippers win game two. And I would assume we get to see CP3 in game games three or four sometime in L.A. because he's been out, I think, for five or so days. So then just based on the timeline, if he has to pass protocols, it's about a 10-day period. So maybe game four is more of a logical date, depending on whether he's vaccinated or not. Uh, so I'll take the Clippers in uh seven and it's just because i think anything can happen in a game seven and i want my pick to be correct but i think the suns should be favored i don't think the series is particularly close if chris paul like played the entire series i think it could be five um if he played but i'll take the clippers in seven because i think the suns are favored by five and a half anyone listening that's a gambling man can just put all their money on the clippers <laughs> gambling problem 1-800 gambler um, I like the Clippers to win game two, and then I think they split uh, games three and four. I think they win a game at the crib in game six, and then anything can happen in game seven. I like it. You have more confidence in the Clippers than I do because I'm jumping ship without Kawhi. I had them in the finals. Yeah, I've, I've, had, <clears throat> I've had the Suns in the finals since the beginning. I'm sticking with the Suns. I will say – um, I disagree with that game two take. I think the Suns go out and beat him again. 
The Clippers are fatigued. Little, little friendly wager. You better be hoping friendly for another wager. Devin Booker forty point triple double. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll go five. Go five bucks on the line there. Okay. Sure. I'll buy you a Chipotle when we get back to campus. Sounds good. Um, okay. But no, you won't because the Clippers are winning. Uh, <laughs> correct. I, I will say, I think the first game, Chris Paul comes back. I think the Suns, I, I think that'll be game three or game four. And I think the Clippers will win that game. And yeah. it'll be a shock to everyone, but I think they just go out and beat them. I don't think Kawhi comes back at all, but what I will disagree with you on, Ian, is I don't think the Clippers are winning in Phoenix in a game seven, especially if Chris Paul is healthy. That would be brutal for like, Phoenix fans. I, I just – I don't think Chris Paul – like Chris Paul has had, had his um, fair share playoff heartbreak in game sevens at home. Um, he lost one in New Orleans when they were the two seed – kind of similar team makeup here too. Uh, he lost one with the Rockets and he didn't play in that game. I don't think he even lets it get to a game seven, let alone loses that game. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> he also hit I, I think, a game seven game winning floater against the Spurs. So he had some fun. That is true. I, I think, I don't know. I, I also think that the Suns in the finals, either team, in the finals is going to be really interesting. I think the Suns would be incredibly awesome in the finals. It would, um, as much as the NBA probably hates it, just with the smaller market, they're a fun team to watch. And this series is going to be fantastic, in my opinion. I, I think, just for the fun of it, let's get Paul George winning the title without Kawhi coming back just to watch <laughs> NBA Twitter explode. Oh, my goodness. It's in play. That is true. Three teams left have a shot to win the title. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Should we move on to the team you're definitely subtweeting? <laughs> I think I'm just aggressively tweeting that team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the East. Um, we'll, we'll save that team for last, but right. um, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. We'll start with that series in the East. Um, Brooklyn basically had it in the first two games. And then the injury bug, Kyrie gets hurt. Well, the Bucks win game three, Kyrie gets hurt. And then the series starts to slip away. Kevin Durant wins game five in a heroic performance where he plays every game. James Harden comes back at, what, 20, 30%. And the I Nets go up three. The narrative, as we talked about with Giannis, comes back where he's a playoff choker and he can't win the big one. And then Giannis goes off and wins game six and game seven. He averages well above 30 points after game one and game two. And the Bucks, rightfully, like, like they're a good team. The Nets, I think, when healthy are better. But the, the Bucks took it to them and they ended up winning the series. And honestly, I'll give Giannis a ton of credit because he came back from really devastating loss last year and he's playing out of his mind right now. And hopefully the Bucks make the finals. Um, I, I want to give Giannis a lot of credit too, because I mean, Middleton shot the ball poorly. 
and Holiday shot the ball even worse, and they won because Giannis showed up. As for how that happened, I'm very impressed that he managed to get over the heartbreak of last year where they got eliminated because he couldn't shoot at all to advance while he still can't shoot at all because he shot under 50% from the line and 26% from three while actually trying to actively shoot threes and they still won. So props to him for not changing it, I guess. Um, he, I mean, he was incredible as much as I'm joking right now. He had a great series and they had no shot without him. I'm just very impressed that he managed to not improve shooting at all and get that much better that he went from a quote unquote playoff choker to a guy that was able to make up for his supporting cast, not really playing up to what they needed. And then well, to, oh, so to that point, just before you continue, yep. I wrote it down because it was so crazy. If you go back and watch the game at, I think it's like the two, like the three minute two fifty mark in the second quarter, Giannis is like driving baseline and it's a close call, whether it's like on the floor shooting and when the ref blows the whistle, the entire Nets bench is motioning for shooting. That's how bad his free throw <laughs> struggles were during that series. Yeah, I think that got a little buried because Simmons was worse. But yeah, his his free throw shooting can definitely use some work because, I mean, it's a, it's a, a way of stopping him that Blake Griffin didn't try as much as I think he probably should have. Because, I mean, he took 60 free throws for the series. I put him on the line 10 times a game if he's not making 50% of them. But, I mean, on Brooklyn's side, I feel bad for Durant because he played incredible, especially after Kyrie got hurt. I mean, he dropped 49, 17, and 10 in game five and won where his second best player was James Harden on. I'll give him more than 20 to 30%, but he wasn't much more than 50%, especially in that game. And then game seven thought he had a game winner where his foot was on the three point line. It, it was, he, he played about as well as he could have and around him wasn't enough between Kyrie going down Harden getting hurt shot 30% for the series was nowhere near healthy. Um, Brooklyn will be back next year. Um, their GM said they're going to make, some big changes. I don't really think they need them, but I, Joe Harris is probably going to go because you can't be the three-point specialist and shoot 33% from three. And I'm interested to see what they do because as long as they keep the big three together, they probably go into next year as title favorites. So, yeah. yeah. I just think, you, Preston, you mentioned at the start, like I picked the Bucks when I knew Harden was out. And I don't even think the series is very close if Kyrie doesn't sprint. Like, I think it's probably five. I think they would have won game four. They had, you know, if Bruce Brown didn't decide that, like, he was the franchise player in game three, they could have easily been up 3-0. Um, <laughs> and listen, the Bucks' offense is just so – it's so anemic, like, watching them come down the floor and – like clear out a side for Giannis or then decide that like Middleton's going to take a walk, walk up hesitation, <laughs> 30 footer, like playing yeah. hero. But, you know, as much as I'm ragging on them now, I was actually really impressed with their ability to answer, you know, like the hardened bank three to make it one one ninety six, the crowd going crazy. It's a lucky shot. 
three minutes left, I think. It can easily derail your season, the momentum, and then immediately Chris Middleton comes down and hits a three, even though he was around 40% shooting the game. Drew Holiday was like two for 17, and off the honest and one to make it one-on-one, one-on-one, Connaughton tips it out, and for some reason he had the audacity to shoot a little bunny hop between the legs three to make it 104, 101. So they're, I mean, as bad as they played and as anemic as Drew Holiday was offensively throughout the series, they made some timely shots that as someone who's labeled that team, uh, a team of choke artists, I was surprised that they were able to do it and withstand the onslaught from the crowd and the nets and Kevin Durant, as you both alluded to. Um, So I was impressed. I was, I'm not happy they won because I think they're boring and, and I also think it's bad that the Nets didn't win for any team that's hoping to win the title next year. Like very bad Probably. because anytime it's much harder to defend than be hungry and try and win. Um, so the fact that they didn't win and the fact that they didn't win because of injuries when it looked like they were clearly the best team when fully healthy is surprising. And Ian, I think you mentioned the offense and kind of how they had that late spurt in the end of a game. What needs to be mentioned, I think, is their defense. That, I mean, I, I know they're missing players, and I, I know the Nets weren't 100% at all. But they held them to, what, 83 in game, in game three, um, 89 in game six. And then in the pivotal game seven, they only scored two points in overtime. The Brooklyn Nets, who were probably the best offensive team of all time. And I, I feel like that's just a credit to the Bucs um, more than anything, more than any offense they produced. And, you know, at the end of the day, injuries are part of the game. And the Bucks did – everything they needed to do to win and as much as Nets fans and like speculators are like oh if the Nets were healthy there they would have won and as much as that might be true you got to give credit where credit's due and I think the Bucks deserve a lot of credit they they probably could have hung their head after game two they lose by almost 40 they go and I they hold them to 83 points after they scored 125. And I mean, they relatively had their same core, what they had Irving, Durant, Blake Griffin. I mean, Joe Harris kind of crapped the bed, but even still, I mean, it's he was just, awful. Yeah. I, yeah. He was terrible. The fact that he had the audacity after shooting what with 33%, to shoot that three in overtime with 50 seconds left when Durant is on an absolute heater, like that's a fireball offense. I mean, he was wide open. Well, I don't care. He missed every wide open shot. I mean, Preston, you just touched on the defense. I think the big thing, as you, you guys both mentioned, after game two, it looked like they were dead. Uh, from game two to game three, they scored the exact same number of points, 86, but they allowed 42 fewer points and it got them back in the series. I mean, this this series was like the inverse of Jazz Clippers. You tuned into Jazz Clippers because you wanted to see two guys just hit threes in each other's face. Um, I think we averaged like 35 to 40 threes made in those, in those games. They were scoring 120 points a game. 
this one was defense, defense, and more defense. Um, P.J. Tucker probably played the second best defense I've ever seen that got 45 dropped on his face consistently behind when Iguodala did it to LeBron. Like, Durant hit every single shot over P.J. Tucker. There wasn't anything more he could have been doing. He's just that good. Is it, Kevin, as someone who watched, and me too, so I want to ask you, is that the, you think this is the best iteration of Durant we've ever seen? Um, overall, I don't think so, because I think his defense is behind where it was in Golden State. Offensively, him in game five was the most complete I've ever seen him, because you couldn't, you couldn't guard him with two guys or else he was going to make the right play. And if you guarded him with one, he was going to hit the shot. I think even if you guarded him with two, he was going to hit the shot. He probably Here's, could have sent the entire bench at him. He was going to hit the shot. He was just in, on something. As someone who's watched him, well, since OKC, but really since he got to Golden State, like on a nightly basis, I think it's I think it's the best version of of Durant we've ever seen. I think the defense is a little overblown just because he had to do so much offensively in that series, sure. especially after Kyrie went down that he's, he just can't give the same energy defensively. So many minutes too. Right. But it's the best version ever because it's the first time we've, in his career he's ever been the, the leader on the team. And, you know, it was Steph's team. It was Russell's team. And, you know, Durant and listen, whoever's team it is, it's overblown because they're all going to get theirs. But, the team has taken on an identity of Durant where they all feel confident because he's on their team and the shot making that he's, he's just completely mastered the art of making shots in a basketball game. Um, and because he's the leader, because now he doesn't have to worry about it's his team doesn't have to worry about it was Russell getting his shots is Kevin is, is um, Steph getting his shots. You know, the other guys are worried now is Kevin getting his shots. Um, I just think that it's the best It's certainly offensively, and the confidence that he played with in that Buck series is the single best offensive series of his career. Um, even better than when he averaged like 35 in the finals against LeBron. So it's, it's a treat to watch him play basketball. Um, and it's sad that I have to watch like Chris Middleton isolations over Kevin Durant isolations for the next month. I think the best thing I can say about Durant in this series is he averaged 35 a game. I think he t- took something like 26, 27 shots a night. And I don't think he got nearly enough. Like every possession they were going down there and someone else was taking a shot that wasn't wide open, they should have been passing to Durant. He was that good that you would take him shooting a contested jump shot over someone else trying to make a good play. Well, and the worst part is the series ended on an air ball by Kevin Durant. And that's what's going to be remembered. It's not going to be the – fall away almost three Kevin Durant even said after the game if he didn't have such big expletive feet he would he, he would have sent them home and he's right he thought it it didn't look like a three on the broadcast but it was pretty darn close and you're just gonna he's that series is gonna be remembered for a turnaround fall away air ball after he had played the entire game, not missing a single second of game action. And Ben did the same in five. Yeah. And carrying that team that honestly, 
without him, the Bucks probably do what the Clippers did, the Jazz, and win four straight. And do I, you actually think that the the clowns in everyday media are going to be like Durant airballed to end that series? Well, hopefully not. I haven't seen because that be like it. you need to like get a life or <laughs> actually watch the games if you're like if that's your takeaway. Oh, he went over six in overtime and airballed the game winner. It's like cool, man. Like you averaged one point a game, junior varsity, and then got cut the next three years from varsity. It's yeah, just ridiculous. I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, no, I no mean, shade, no shade. But I'm just saying, like, if you're taking, if you're, if we're, and we do it with LeBron all the time. Like, if we're gonna take the last shot and put it, like, make it the most important shot of their career, and, and say that he airballed and choked. It, what I, what was so like profound about that last shot is if you look at his face. It almost looked this looked like he thought he put enough on it to get it there and like to make the shot. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but like his legs were just like nobody. Like yeah. You don't have enough strength to get it there. You've played over the last three games, you played 53, 48, and 40. So yeah. like it's just not gonna go in for you. Not and this time. First year off of a injury that <laughs> yeah. kills careers. Gives me hope for play. You know. Yeah, I also I also don't want to hear the talking heads talking about if this negatively affecting James Harden's legacy. Um, I think I told Preston this is this to me is the best move James Harden's made for his career because I think he was always a me first. I I'm gonna go out and play my game. Um, his game's never been a big team oriented. As much as he gets assists, it's a lot of isolation. He put himself on the line. He put potentially next season on the line. I mean, we saw Durant get severely injured because he tried to play through something. And Harden played horribly. But, I mean, he was on like 50% of his best. And he went out there and he played all 53 minutes of Game 7 to try and help his team win. And I have nothing but respect for that. It didn't go his way, but I have nothing but respect for that. I think even less than 50%. And honestly, the creativity of like how he's changed his game to satisfy what the Nets need. If that results in the title, then I don't want to hear any James Harden slander anymore because he's basically, he, he's, he is the key that unlocks their like, all-time great status as a team type of offense. Yeah, he almost of- had a triple-double in game seven. Yeah. On basically running on fumes, had 22-9-9, and nine, didn't shoot the ball extremely well, but, like, no one else on the Nets is touching that. He'll take Harden on 50%. I think that he had the – I could be wrong. He had a great two hamstring. I think it's the same exact injury that forced Chris Paul to miss – two games in the Western Conference Finals when they lost in Houston. And to your Harden point before you finish, there's no, there was no bigger Harden hater than me. You know, he's been a rival of the Warriors for essentially since they started their championship streak in 2015. Called him a choker. Like, called him all that. Irrational fandom, hatred for James Harden. The way he has carried himself since being in Brooklyn and – to Kevin's point, the way that he um, has reconstru- not reconstructed his game. He's just kind of changed what he's put an emphasis on. He's more of a facilitator now than a scorer. Um, it's 
awesome to watch because he's maybe the best, you know, one-on-one, one of the best one-on-one isolation players ever. And then just to be willing to say, all right, like for this team to re- reach its full potential, we're going to, I'm going to be the facilitator and immediately put Kevin and Kyrie scoring and, and maybe stats and casual fans attention ahead of his own is, is pretty remarkable. And I can say I no longer hate him until maybe we see him down the road. And I think you guys can agree or disagree. I think with Harden and Durant, just them fully healthy. I think it's a sweep. Over the Bucks. Over the Bucks. Yeah, I mean the Bucks suck. Like <laughs> the East in the in the East, the two worst teams won both series. Like if if Kyrie was healthy, it could have been a sweep, and I think it would have been five. Like it's just whatever. I don't think the Bucks suck. They I, I want to say that. I really don't think they suck. Yeah, I think they played poorly and won this series. Here's but what I don't I, think they suck. But they just, like, their offense is is awful. Like, Coach Bud, I've always thought coaching was overstated. He's terrible. <laughs> like, like he's, he's the, the, the way they run their the, – first of all, I'm going on a rant here, but the ATO, when they didn't get a shot up with, like, eight seconds left at the end of regulation when they were up two, whereas if you just get one on the rim, the Nets have maybe three seconds, and you just got two massive offensive rebounds, and the Nets are small and you're bigger – if you just get it on the rim, you might win the game there and Durant doesn't even get the opportunity. For you to throw it in the corner and your player, I don't know what happened to Brook Lopez, but not be aware, I guess, to just throw the ball at the rim and he passed it to Milton for a shot clock violation, that's fireable. That's a fireable offense. If you lose that game, your head's on a spike in Milwaukee. Huh? Brooke, Brooke has to take some blame for that one too. But I sure, agree. But I, just, if, I like Brooke Lopez better than I like Bud. If so Durant is a foot further back on his three and that turns into a game winner because Brooke Lopez didn't shoot the ball. Yeah, a lot of them are getting run out of town. Um, this is why I don't like when they make coaching decisions based on one series or one game because, I mean, I genuinely think Coach Bud's job security came down to if they won game seven or not. And since they ended up winning, he's now going to keep his job. And I, I think he's like a decent head coach. I don't think he's the worst, but I also don't think he's maximizing them. So they should fire him if they win the championship and sweep the next two series. Yeah, I, I, I don't think <laughs> I'm seeing that one coming, but could be wrong there. It won't happen. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think it's more of the body of work. I, I think he should have been fired after the bubble. I mean, I also love that a team that plays Thanasis on Tedekumpo in every single game of the playoffs just made the Eastern Conference Finals. And you get Thanasis, he plays in like the first quarter too. Yeah, he just comes in for one defensive play, gets his ankle snatched by Kyrie, and then goes back to the bench. Frank, he's Hill a cheerleader. Style. He's a good cheerleader. But you, you have to have Thanasis on the team if you have Giannis. You, you know, give give him some run. So I, I'll excuse that one. But you don't have to play him if you have <laughs> is my thought process. But fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think we've talked enough on this series. And honestly, credit to the Bucks. I, I think they are deserving, you know, of oh. even a finals appearance, even even though 
they did not play up to their full potential, I think, in this series. But we're moving on to the Sixers and the Hawks. And I'm sure everyone's going to have a lot to talk about in this series because it's kind of still fresh. We're recording this the day after game seven. And the Sixers just blew it. I don't think there's anything else to say. Like, uh, Ian, I'm just going to turn it over to you. I know you have a lot to say. Yeah, well, I picked the Sixers. and We all did. We all did. I don't like being wrong. Um, but I just want to start with Joel Embiid, his post-game comments after game seven, whining about officials, whining about Ben Simmons passing. If you don't go 0 for 12 in the second half and smoke a bunny, bunny, and you smoke a bunny, the worst late game shot I've ever seen. You would look like you were scared to shoot a layup with no one at the rim to win game four, go up 3-1, and close out the series. You smoke a bunny, a bunny, and then you have the audacity after game seven to say, oh, he was getting hooked and uh, it bends to me. Like, come on, man. That was a bad accent. I tried, but like, that's just so bad. And then Doc Rivers blowing another lead. I don't even want to like, you know, the, the thing with him as a coach is he won a championship in his first year in Boston when they had the most talented roster in the league. And I'm not sure, you know, anytime a coach wins a championship, they get um, praise and they get a level of job security. That's not afforded to others, but when you look at other guys that maybe have had a talent advantage, um, just take Spolster, for example, when he won in Miami uh, with LeBron, there was a lot of, oh, well, he won because of LeBron. But then he since proved that, oh, okay, maybe he didn't. It was because it's actually because he's a good coach. It's not just a, Doc has not had a redemption season since that 08 year. Like Clippers, Clippers against were, your Warriors. What? Huh? The Clippers against your Warriors, the year they took you to six games is the closest I can give. Did they we did they ever play us in the postseason? It was first round the year I'm blanking on years, but it was the year you guys lost to Kawhi and the Raptors in the finals. It was twenty nineteen. Oh yeah. They had yeah, yeah, yeah. Shea. They played I forgot about that. They had no star and took you to six and Durant had fair. to go Durant. Okay, but yes, fair. But Lou Williams is also a fringe all-star that year. If Jimmy Butler, I think that was his, t- I could be wrong, but there was something about Jimmy Butler sitting out when he could have just said, I'm not an all-star and Lou might've made it. Could be wrong. But um, like the fact that he hasn't had a redemption season a la Spolstra or a la someone else that is not coming to mind right now. And he's just it, like the Clippers were an abject disaster. They had maybe the most talent. They had the most talented team last year maybe aside from the Lakers and blew a three, one lead. And they blew a three, one lead to Houston when they were far superior. Chris Paul and those teams were some of the most talented in the NBA and they never got to a conference finals. Like he's never had their redemption year. And then Philadelphia again, this year, you blow two 20 point leads in back-to-back games and lose a game seven. When Trey young shoots five at 23, Bogdanovich is relegated to the bench. Who's their second best player and Hunter who might be their third best players out with a torn meniscus. It's bad all around. And then Simmons contemplating switching shooting hands because he's, he has the yips at the free throw line and even around the basket is, you know, Philadelphia is a dumpster fire right now. Um, and I've talked enough, so I want to get your guys' thoughts because 
I could go on for days. I just want to say, um, I think it's a good thing that Philly sports fans are known for being very lenient with their, their players, because otherwise they might go a lot further than Ian has. Um, maybe Doc Rivers and Ben Simmons are getting sent to the moon because I've seen a lot of hate for both of them. Um, from the Hawks perspective, because I know Ian touched a lot on the Sixers, so I'm going to get to them and talk a little bit, but I want to focus on the Hawks because they're still around. Um Trey Young shot under 40% for the series. They won. I have no idea how that Bogdanovich shot under 40% from the series. They won. John Collins had a good series shooting the ball. That was about it. And I mean, they won like Kevin Herter had a great game seven, but didn't really show up a ton the rest of the series. They just found a way. And I think that speaks a lot about Nate McMillan and that goes into what Ian kind of touched on earlier about how we think coaching might not matter all that much because McMillan last year got fired because the Pacers decided that he wasn't good enough to get them out of the first round. I mean, he's in the Eastern conference finals with not anywhere near the most talented roster in the East. So Coaching might matter, coaching might not matter, but you make a move because you think the coach isn't getting it done, and then he goes and gets it done somewhere else, so clearly the coach wasn't your issue. Um, on Philly, just going to try and keep this brief, um, I give Embiid a lot of credit for what he did on the court. Um, on a bad leg, definitely injured, 30 points a game, 13 boards a game, um, I think he was really good. Seth Curry had an incredible shooting series that I hope people don't forget about. Um, ben Simmons, I think we saw his last game as a Philadelphia 76er. And at this point, I really don't think that's the wrong move. Um, the Embiid Simmons experiment was given enough time to know it doesn't work. Um, I was actually clamoring down the stretch. I think they should have taken out Simmons and gone with Matisse instead because I think Matisse is the better defender for Trey. As we saw, he did a really good job every single time he was on him. And Simmons wasn't offering anything offensively. He wouldn't look at the basket. He was getting hacked because he couldn't make free throws. Um, it's, it's tough to win in the playoffs when one of the guys you're relying on to be one of your best players is essentially getting played off the floor, like we talked about with Utah. So maybe these defensive player of the year candidates are being overhyped. I think, um, I think, well, you touched on it with Simmons. I think he should have been taken out. He was, he was out for the last 54 seconds of that game and you're paying him what a hundred plus million. And he's your second best player, arguably. And he's unplayable in the fourth quarter because every time he's in, everyone's looking to foul. And you saw it in the game. Like there are in game seven, especially, I think there are a couple huge sequences involving Ben Simmons that just turned the tide of the game. I mean, the big one that everyone's talking about is when it was 88, 86, Ben Simmons passes up a wide open dunk, kicks it to Thibault, and 
he gets fouled, makes one of two. They never tie or take the lead again. And then there's another play where Ben Simmons goes to the line, splits the free throws. And then you're down one. And it's just – it's frustrating to watch just as a, a pure basketball fan because, I mean, even in, like, Little League, youth coaching, they're always talking, like, practice your free throws, make your free throws. This guy shot the worst free throw percentage in a playoff series in NBA history, and he's an all-star. Like, come on. And I think this is fair criticism. He only shot three shots in the entire fourth quarter. He shot four shots in game seven. Like, why are you getting paid this much? It doesn't make any sense. Like, he he disappeared. And um, I, I, I'll credit Seth Curry. He had a great series. Credit Embiid. Matisse did a good job defensively except for that one foul on Herter that basically put the game out of reach, made it a two-possession game. Um, and honestly, I, I think the um, – I know Ian was talking about this earlier. The Sixers could have won five games in that series. And they won three. And if you look at the four factors, they won three out of the four. It's just oh, – it's, it's incredible. And – the thing is, I, I, I feel like Nate McMillan is finally going to get the credit he deserves. Um, the Pacers absolutely fell apart after they fired him. That is one note. Um, it's, it was a mistake. Um, he's been good in a lot of places. And this Atlanta team was 14-20 and 20 when he took them over. He's still listed as an interim head coach. He's going to get the, uh, this massive extension with Atlanta if they're smart. He's just been absolutely incredible. He's changed my mind as a coach because I saw the Heat crush them last playoffs. But he's just done an incredible job with this team. I, I think I think coaching does matter. I'll I'll go against kind of some thoughts on that, but I think even going in this next series, I think McMillan has the coaching advantage over Mike Budenholzer. I mean, I know we've heard how Ian feels about that one. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not close. Yeah. I, I think coaching matters to an extent, um, not as much as people might like to think. But, I, I mean, Nate McMillan definitely outcoached Doc Rivers in the series. But I, I think we can all agree they still shouldn't have won it. Like, Atlanta won four games by a total margin of 17 points in those games. Philly won two of their games by 16, like separate games, 16 each. The Philly outscored them in the series. They were the better team in most of the series, and they blew 20-plus point leads in two different games. This, I mean, something's going to change because Philly can't keep getting bounced early. They can't keep cycling through excuses. Um, I don't think Doc gets tossed because he got one year and they made strides in the regular season. So I think he got enough to keep his job. I think the roster changes and Bede's going to stay outside of him. I'm not sure anyone's hundred percent safe. I mean, Seth Curry's a good guy to have around him, but they're not going to turn down a blockbuster deal because Seth Curry's included. 
I think Ben Simmons is on the chopping block. I think Harris would be traded if they could get someone that's a better fit. Philly's going to be very different next year. Um, I think that's probably for the best for them because I think they probably just about maxed out this roster. And uh, Sorry to kind of cut you off. No, you're good. Um, If you're Daryl Morey, you just took over this team. You had a relatively – well, you're a pretty successful year. I mean, terrible playoff exit. You just got out of a bad Horford contract, and you, you did a lot last offseason to really improve the team. His two big trades, the Horford trade and the um, and the Seth Curry trade, I think he won both of them. And <clears throat> I, I, I – what? They had a great regular season, first in the East – and they still couldn't get to the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you do? Like, Ben Simmons's value is at the absolute bottom right now. Who do you even trade him to? Harris is on this massive contract. Danny Green's a free agent. Um, you got a couple of guys in pending free agency. Um, your assets are Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey, off the bench who you probably don't want to trade right away. Like who do you even send Ben Simmons to if, if you trade him at all? Well, you missed your chance on Harden. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he, he could have been the centerpiece of a Harden trade, but you missed your chance there. Um, I don't think CJ McCollum moves the needle as much as people want to tie those two as a, a potential deal. Um I've seen people thinking they'd trade him to OKC for Kemba. I don't think Kemba's anything for them. Um, they got to get someone like a Bradley Beal. Whether Washington's willing to trade him, I don't think they should be, not for Simmons. A Ben Simmons-Russell-Westbrook pairing is about as bad shooting as it gets. Um, it's it's not going to be an easy offseason for them, but Daryl Morey's one of the best in the business at it. So if there's a good deal out there, he'll probably find it. But it, Ben Simmons is probably going to get dealt because when Joel Embiid makes his feelings clear that he thinks that Ben Simmons cost him the series, you're going to keep him happy. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was their best opportunity to win with Brooklyn being out, the Lakers being out, the Clippers being hobbled. Uh, the remaining teams are the Bucks, who I would assume they feel confident that they can at least play with. And then you got Phoenix and the Kawhi-less Clippers, who at the start of the year, I don't think anyone, maybe there were some people, but I don't think anyone were picking them to win the championship, um, especially if Kawhi's not there. So it was their best year of any. Uh, obviously, the you mentioned the Horford trade, Preston, like Danny Green, I don't know. I mean, he's, I don't really see it with him anymore, but Obviously, he strained his calf in game two, maybe. He strained his calf very early in the series. And obviously, that's a, piece, that's a rotation piece that they were missing down the stretch of these games. But I just, you know, you got to look yourselves in the mirror if you're Philadelphia. You blew. Like Kevin said, you should have won. Or Preston, maybe you said you should have won five of the seven games. You outscored them by, I don't know, 20 points over, over the seven-game series, and you managed to lose it. Um, all not good signs moving forward, but I wouldn't, I, I would, I wouldn't be too quick to throw out everyone off the roster just because 
they're still in an okay position. I don't know how Embiid was feeling in terms of a torn meniscus and all that stuff, but I, I, I mean, they're they're gonna be okay. But this was a huge blown opportunity um, this year, especially. Yeah, I. You basically hit the nail on the head, and honestly, if you're the Sixers. I think you take offers on anyone besides Embiid, like Kevin said. Um, I mean, I've heard Bulls fans saying that Ben Simmons could help them, but I don't know what who they give besides Zach Levine, who they're not going to give up. Or, like, maybe you make a run for Kemba. Maybe you call the, the, um, the Cavs and try to get Sexton, but I don't think they trade him. I'm just not sure what you do if you're the Sixers, because – I mean, clearly it's not working. And I mean, it's funny because Simmons goes against everything Maury, you know, tries to do it again. Like, I mean, what he did with the Rockets and three point shooting and spacing the floor and like inside. Like, so it's just a weird fit. And I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted it would blow up this bad, but man, the Sixers have a lot of work to do in the offseason. But honestly, credit to the Hawks. Uh, they're a young team. Trey Young has really put his stamp on the NBA playoffs. And um, the Hawks have a lot of um, maneuvering they can do. They have some pretty good contracts. They need to keep John Collins, I think, but. Um, they have also still cool playing. Run. Go, sorry. Hmm? They're also still playing. They get another series. Yeah, like they. they I don't they, think they care about their contracts right stop. now. Stop. They're not still playing. They're a lame duck. Oh, they they're are still get, playing. They're going to get smashed. Ian, we thought they were a lame duck in this series. I. They're going to need more than this. If, if the Hawks win this next series, I, I don't know if I can handle myself. Ian, what's your, what's your pick on this next series? Let's go right into that. Um, Start with you. The Bucs won't lose a game at home. I want to say four, but I'll take them in five. The Hawks are not very good. Like, the six, like this Sixers series should have been and could have easily been over in five. Um. They could have easily won four games in a row. They didn't. So credit to Atlanta there. It's a big deal for uh, that city and that franchise to make the conference finals. Not only in a weird way to justify the Luka trade, but just as from an economic standpoint and from a progress standpoint, it's a big deal. Uh, they're not even close, especially with Bogdanovich's weird like health thing going on, even with him. They're not even close to the talent level of Milwaukee. I think Drew Holiday, as much as we – thought Thibel and Simmons did a good job on Trey Young. He might be the best perimeter defending guard in the league. And then unlike Thibel and Simmons, he has the ability, although maybe he didn't show it against the Nets, to punish Trey on the defensive end, which I'm waiting for one of these teams to do that plays the Hawks. Just put him in pick and roll like the Cavs do with Steph Curry in the finals and just punish him and make him work defensively. I think the Bucks, you know, as much as I just rip Bud, hopefully they'll do that, and I think it'll be a pretty short series for them. Kevin, I have the Bucks in seven. 
I actually think this is going to be a classic. I think this is going to be a great series. Um, I kind of agree. I think I think Matisse and Drew are the two best on-ball perimeter defenders in the league. I'm not really going to pick between them because I think they're neck and neck. I don't think we saw enough of Matisse on Trey because I don't think we saw enough minutes for Matisse. Uh, Drew's going to be on Trey pretty much every minute he's on the floor. Uh, I think he's going to do a good job, but I think that's also going to hold him back offensively as we kind of saw he wasn't great in the last series. Um, the Bucks need Middleton to play better than he did. Giannis will probably be similar to what he did. I don't think he's going to put up much more than 30-something a game. Middleton needs to shoot the ball better. Whether he can or not, I don't know. And that'll probably determine how the series goes. But I think Bogdanovich will be better in the next series because I think Philly's D was smothering for them. And getting through that's going to be big for their offense. I just don't really trust Milwaukee's offense to score enough to blow them out in any game. And if the games are going to be close, I think the series is going to be close. All right. So I really want the Bucks to win. And I, I think Giannis, this is his best shot to win a title. But Ian and I talked about this. And I said before, if the Hawks won game seven, I was going to pick them. And you know what? I'm going to stick to my word. And, you know, as Ian would say, just to be a little bit different, I'm going to pick the, I'm going yes. To pick the Hawks. Yes, I'm going to pick the Hawks. And I think it goes about six or seven. I'll say seven. And the reason I'm picking them, is, this is not just like out of the blue, even though a Suns-Hawks finals would just be hilarious for the NBA from a marketing standpoint, they would absolutely hate themselves. The fact that the Hawks won this last series playing some pretty bad basketball just shows that they're, they're not just this, like, they're a good team, you know? And McMillan, I think, has the coaching advantage. And even though the Bucks are stifling defensively, I think the Hawks have an offense and a bench that can keep up. And plus, I, I mean, I, I look back at their regular season games um, and the way they win, I think, is Bogdanovich. And he's got that knee, knee ailment. But the Hawks are on a roll right now. And I feel like similar to the Heat, that five-seed magic – but also just getting hot at the right time. I think the Hawks will win every close game in this series because they're such a good free throw shooting team. They're fourth in the NBA, I believe. I think the Bucks are 24th. Um, they'll hit every late game free throw. Like Trey Young just shoots so well from the line. They, they have shooters all around the court. I think Capella... Um, is pretty underrated this series too. And I think he can bully Brooke Lopez on the boards because Brooke Lopez doesn't get any rebounds. But I agree with Kevin. I think the series is going to go further than most people imagine. And I'm, I'm taking the Hawks and in an underdog series. And I think it's a huge blow to Giannis's legacy if he loses. 
I think I, I think Giannis is going to be Giannis. I think Brooke and PJ are the key for Milwaukee because, I mean, we've seen from Atlanta they're going to play big. They're going to play Collins and Capella together. They're going to play in big minutes. What that's going to mean is Giannis is going to be inside. I'm assuming one of them will probably be on him. Whichever one isn't is going to want to come help. They're going to want to defend inside. They're going to be helping off of PJ, and they're going to be helping off of Brooke. Those guys need to hit their shots. Brooke had a pretty good series against Brooklyn. PJ wasn't hitting shots. I think they need both of them to be shooting the ball well because their offense wasn't up to it. If I mean, PJ Tucker's been one of the best corner three shooters in the league for a while. If he's on from the corner, Milwaukee becomes borderline undefendable. Uh, I, I think um, um, two underrated players, I think, for the Hawks. Actually, I'll go three because I want to include this last guy. I think Gallinari off the bench. Um, will he be able to to defend one of these guys? Like, I mean, how are you gonna hide him? Basically, he, he'll get his on offense. He's been shooting pretty well, um, especially from well, his free throw percentage this series was excellent. Um, he's shooting well from three. How are you going to – like, where are you going to play him? And he's been good off the bench, but I'm not sure where he'll fit this series. I think Okonwu is going to give him some good minutes, and he might guard Giannis in stretches. And if he doesn't look lost out there and can kind of channel that USC defensive potential, like, we'll see. I, I think they'll try him on him. I think they'll also try Solomon Hill on Giannis. I mean – I think what Solomon Hill played 12 minutes a game for the Hawks. He only played six games in that last series. He started three of them. I think he plays 18 or 19. I could be dead wrong, but I think he's a key in this series. And um, I think it's going to be, we're, we're going to see more bench, I think, in this series for the Hawks because the Bucks are just a tough team to defend. And they're going to try a bunch of guys on Giannis. And I don't think they'll be able to stop him. But as long as they can contain him and his surrounding pieces enough, I don't think it'll matter. And I think they'll win every close game, like I said before. Certainly possible. I don't really have anything to add because I don't think it's going to be close. I mean, you said that the Hawks – well, actually, no. You said that there's three teams – Capable Correct. Championship. And that's and they're not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, but but so if, if you're right, Preston, and Kevin, if it goes seven, I'm, anything can happen. I'm assuming you expect game seven to be close. At at what point? Because I think we all would agree that if you look at Atlanta's roster, they're I guess Brooklyn with the injuries, they maybe eke them out, but they're probably the fourth. And then, you know, Miami's got a pretty loaded roster, although they didn't put it together. They're fourth best in their own conference. And yet Trey Young is going to be in the finals with a chance to win because if they beat Milwaukee, they absolutely have a chance to win. At what point does the Luka trade start to become – like Cam Reddish is, is borderline unplayable in the NBA, so maybe it's, it's just a straight-up swap. But at what point do we acknowledge like that Trey in his own system in Atlanta plays 
totally different than Luca in terms of the speed that they play at. Luca's much more methodical. Um, Trey is much more uh, involving of everyone, even though the assist numbers are similar. I think Trey's assists are much more inclusive than Luca's. At what point does the Trey slam the Trey slander of that trade begin to stop? Is it if they make the finals this year? Is it do they have to win it because Luca's most likely going to get one? Like where are we at with that? I'm already there. I think that the, I, I don't think any I think both teams in hindsight are going to be happy with where they come out of the tree because I don't think either of them I think Luca would be better in Atlanta than he is in Dallas because I think Atlanta is a better supporting cast but I don't know necessarily that he makes them beat this Bucks team or be a title winning team like I don't think that they're at that level so I think you're looking at a team where if they had not made the trade and they have Luca instead, they probably have the same ceiling. So I don't, I, I don't know that they necessarily are going to ever be there's, I don't think there's going to be a clear winner of this trade because it's two guys that are going to be all NBA players for the next decade. I, um, Ian, to answer your question, I think if, and when, Trey Young wins the finals. I feel like that'll be the end of it because he'll have that championship pedigree. This would be the most improbable run, I think, to the finals ever. Um, and I, I think he could do it in like a matter of a couple of years. I think if he even makes the finals, a lot of the slander will stop at least until next year if they lose in the first round. Um, I, I just think in terms of the Luca trade, something that you guys both didn't mention, I, I think Luca kind of fits Dallas more, if that makes sense. I mean, they, they had Dirk. He kind of replaces that tall European guy. And Trey, I feel like, has that, like, swag to his game, that, like, Atlanta, where he acts like the villain – and really kind of pulls the whole city behind him, if that makes sense. And, and that's kind of underrated. I, I feel like some teams really embody what their city means to them. I, you saw it with the Grizzlies, with the grit and grind, the heat, kind of that like heat culture type of deal. I think Trey's becoming that for Atlanta, like with how he plays and that swagger he has on the court. And – I feel like even though the Mavs got the better player, Atlanta might've gotten the better, you know, guy for their team. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. The, the Hawks GM, uh, I think it's Travis Schlank, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he made the deal, I think he said something along the lines of like, he wanted Trey Young to be his Steph Curry because he came from the Warriors and that's how he wanted to build a team. I think Is that Trey Young ever going to be Steph? Probably not. Well, they're totally different. But the, in terms of shooting and how that can affect the game, I think that's where Trey appealed to him. And I think that Trey hit on that. Yeah. I agree with you. They're different players because Trey is much more of a playmaker, ball in his hands all the time. 
But I think that that's why it took them a coaching change because Schlenk kind of still wanted to build the Warriors. And instead he had to take the Warriors team building philosophy and let them figure out how to play. But to, overall, to answer your question, I think that I think that both teams, with having Trey, having Luca, both teams have to expect themselves to win a title, or they're going to be disappointed because of the quality of players they have. But expecting them to win a title might be tough because only one team can win it each year. Um, I think Trey's always going to get hate for a lot of things because he's done a great job of making himself into a villain and I think he wants it. So if you ask, I think if you ask Trey Young the question, he doesn't want people to shut up about him being in the Luca trade because he feeds on it is basically my thought process. Yeah. I mean, just to cap it off, it, I think if the Hawks got like anyone but Cam Reddish, who at times looks yeah. like a corpse on the court, on the court, it would be, looked at in a lot more of a favorable light. And then two, we didn't even mention it and we're not, we don't have time to get into it here, but like the Lucas situation in Dallas is growing more contentious by the day. So if he theoretically, you know, he's making enough off the court now where turning down the money that's never been turned down, where you maybe sign a qualifying offer or take a shorter deal after your rookie extension and then bolts from Dallas. I don't think he will. I'm just saying that, you know, based on the articles that have come out recently, it, it seems to at least be in play or in the minds of the front office. I'll, I'll pause you. He might do what LeBron did and sign three years. Yeah. Well, LeBron did that because he wanted to line up with D-Wade. And well, yeah, but they all signed three years. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying that if he doesn't – like, Trey seems to love Atlanta, whereas Luca and Dallas – although on paper seems like a great fit given their history with Dirk, there seems to be some contention there. So it's, if he leaves Dallas, obviously it's going to be looked at, even though Luca, I think we can all agree is going to be a better basketball player. The trade would be a huge win for Atlanta. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. And honestly, in, in that draft, um, Atlanta could have taken Tyler Hero, Cameron Johnson, um, Bible, I, I think any of these guys right now. He, your favorite player, Jordan Poole, Ian, Kevin. He's Porter. a bucket. Kevin Porter. I'm sorry, Jordan. You're, you're <laughs> nice now. You bust me like up. PJ Washington. PJ Washington, too. He's nice. I That's think Kevin the, Porter they, was what they wanted out of Cam Reddish. I think it was more like a P.J. Washington, Cameron Johnson. I mean, they got Hunter, who they're missing right now. Another guy in that mold, and they're a much more dangerous team, and they don't have to use Solomon Hill. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just going to be remembered as a, like, one for one, and Cam Reddish will be that, like, missing piece. Maybe they deal him for someone, but – I mean, I think right now the Hawks are winning the trade, even though the Mavs have the best player, which is hard to do. <laughs> and credit to their front office, and they made their coaching change at the perfect time because Nate McMillan's doing a great job. 
And honestly, um, I think we'll see two pretty good series, even though there's a, even though there's a lack of huge teams. And I mean, the Clippers are a big market, but in terms of legacy, not really this huge, like there's not much star talent and marketability from an NBA perspective. We're going to see some great series. And I think the finals will be the exact same way. And I'm interested to see how the NBA markets it, especially if it goes the way I think it will with Suns Hawks. Um, But it's going to be interesting. I'm excited. Chris Paul redemption tour. Oh, yeah. Top three point guard ever. Top three point guard ever if he wins. No matter who wins, it's going to be very interesting. You got Chris Paul, Paul George, Giannis, and Trey Young. One of them's winning a title, and a lot of people are going to be unhappy about that. Yeah. And what I will say before we kind of give our last finals picks before this series gets, before these two series get going. Um, we're seeing a lot of changing legacies this season. And as much as this is going to be remembered as a post-pandemic season, this is also a season where a lot of guys are rewriting how we feel about them. And I feel like Jokic winning MVP is step one where he's going to be remembered in history differently, I think, because of this MVP award. And then one of these four guys that Kevin alluded to, they're going to be NBA champions. And that's definitely going to, you know, kind of write their legacy. And even as we move forward, in these next few NBA seasons, hopefully COVID free and 82 games, it's going to stick with them and they'll be remembered differently as players. Yeah. I think, I think we've already seen some of that. I mean, I think this is the year where it proved that the people that everyone says are empty stats players can uh, like, they can easily change that. Devin Booker is in the Western conference finals just had a 40-point triple-double to get his team a win. For years, everyone thought he could only put up empty stats on a bad team. Um, Trey Young last year was an all-star starter, and certain people named Preston Klaus were complaining because he was putting <laughs> up a bunch of stats on a bad team. He, he's in the Eastern Conference Finals because he's leading his team. Like, it's This year has shown how quickly it can flip when you start getting surrounded by the right pieces and everything can just click. Completely agree. Legacies are always evolving. And I'm excited to see Trey Young's end in a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, with how the NBA plays their games where it's only one day of rest for even if it goes to seven with no gaps of two days of rest, it might end in your opinion in less than a couple weeks it'll end in like eight days but his legacy's not over his season will be over in eight okay all right well 
let's move on. Um, I hope he drops 50 a game. I hope he's listening to this because that will inspire him to do so because he hears the hatred and internalizes it. Trey Young could give one. I can't swear on here, but he does not care about what I say or what anyone else says. He definitely so. watches the memes, though. He like, loves to hear it. He, he feeds off the, the away crowd. He loves to hear it. Yeah. I hope Milwaukee fans heckle him because that's going to be the best way to get us a series. Oh, yeah. I like Trey Young. I just think the Hawks are not very good. Fair enough. All right. Let's um, – we both – well, we all have our finals picks as of where it currently stands. Um, just give out your NBA champion and how many games. Um, I have Suns versus Hawks, and I'll say Suns and six. Chris Paul wins his first ring. Go ahead, Kevin. Um, well, I have the Bucks. Um, the West is pretty flippy to me because, like I said earlier, it's tough to make a prediction without knowing Kawhi. Um, if Kawhi comes back at any point in the playoffs, I think the Clippers win the whole thing because I think it'll be that big for them. That being said, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I think the Bucks have enough to beat the Suns or the Clippers if they don't have Kawhi in seven games. Okay. So I have Clippers, Bucks. Uh, I'm going down with the ship with or without Kawhi. Clippers in six. Wow. Clips in six. Wow. Who wins finals MVP, Paul George, Terrence Mann, or Reggie Jackson? I think I was going sneaky Zubach of Itza, but <laughs> I don't know. Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson finals MVP, and he completes the Russell Westbrook revenge arc. I think I can claim that as an OKC title if it, Reggie Jackson and Paul George lead them to a title. If Reggie Jackson and Paul George lead them to the title then okc fans have to be immense pain i mean whoever wins in the west is a former thunder player that's true so there's actually one on every roster there you go danilo and justin jackson's on the bucks thank you justin i was, for I was completing trying to it. figure out who was on the bucks <laughs> yeah we waved him mid-season it's important. Oh, man. Go get that ring. Wow. Well. Uh, it's shaping up to be a really good rest of the way. And um, I don't know. We have a lot of scenarios that could or could not happen. Um, I think at the end of the day, I think nothing – I mean, what, two number one seeds are out before the conference finals. That's the first time it's happened since 94. Anything can happen. And I expect that same trend to continue. <laughs> I mean, like, just you can keep hyping up this Hawks pick. Any moron listening to this that's taking Preston's advice and goes and bets the Hawks, <laughs> just be okay. It's the equivalent of walking out in your backyard, throwing gasoline on whatever you have in your piggy bank and lighting it on fire. Well, no, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is anything can happen. Like Kawhi could come back at any point. Chris oh yeah, sure. I would like, love that. 
That'd be awesome. And like I, I did say before that Hawks pick, I want the Bucks to win. I'd love to see Giannis in the finals. And it, like, I don't know. I, and to your credit, there's a, a decent amount of peer pressure from me to make sure oh, yeah. you pick the Hawks today. Oh, yeah. I, I do think the series will go to six or seven. So yeah. there we go. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Don't bet on the Hawks. Gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. Just for all the degenerates out there. Fair enough. Well, we got we got the Chipotle bet on the Clippers, and we had the gentleman's bet on the Hawks. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. We will see. Anyway, I think this is going to wrap it up. We've gone on for way too long here. If you're still around, I really appreciate you guys listening. And, you know, as we said, it's going to be a great end of the ride. Um, Expect a really numbers-heavy finals preview for whoever one of these – or whoever two of these four teams makes it out. And – it's going to be really insane. It's going to be awesome. But thanks for listening. As always, I'm Preston, joined by Ian and Kevin, and I'll see you guys in the next one.